As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Hello and welcome to The Ruck from The Times and Sunday Times. My name is Alan Dimmick and today we bring you a special bonus edition of the podcast. The 2022 Six Nations is right around the corner, so today we preview what many people call the greatest rugby tournament on earth. Marcus Smith simply has to tap this ball, which he does, he runs away, smashes it into the south stand at Twickenham. And England are victorious. And it's James Lowe, the man who scored the opening try, who kicks it out. And this is a colossal moment. It's an unbelievable achievement from Andy Farrell's Ireland. What a roar we will hear. Sell out, proud again, back at Murrayfield. They know, everybody knows. Here she goes. Victory for Scotland. Priestland with the game on his laces. Sends it through and the Principality roars once more and it's Wales that have won this nail-biter of a Test match. So what will the latest edition of the tournament throw up? Are we destined to have the same discussions about promotion relegation over and over again? Are Georgia a viable option to join the tournament? Or will South Africa be the next side to enter rugby's cash cow? Rather than your traditional preview, we're going to try and answer some of those questions. We'll chat to Lasha Khersidze, the General Director of the Georgian Rugby Union. We'll talk to Franco Smith, the former Italy coach who is now their Performance Director. We hear from France back rower Gregory Aldrit, as well as Mark Palmer from the Sunday Times in Scotland, Craig Ray, the editor of the Daily Maverick in South Africa, and referee Wayne Barnes. You have to go back to 2015 for the last time Italy won a Six Nations match. Finishing bottom of the pile has become a habit, and amidst concerns that they are being left behind, each year the suggestion of promotion and relegation for the Six Nations comes up. Georgia are most often mentioned as the team who should be given an opportunity. Here is General Director of Georgian Rugby, Lasha Khersidze. To play more tier one games means development for Georgian rugby. It means that uh, it means our growth. As a team, we're going to be better if we play more games against stronger sides. And uh, to be honest, I see Georgia. Georgia has to be part of Six Nations because we are part of Europe. And naturally, geographically, this is the only direction, you know, just we can be, you know. And uh, uh, obviously, we cannot go to Southern Hemisphere and join championship, even if they wanted us to join them. So, I mean, just naturally, this is our our place of, uh, of you know, just um, uh, this is where we're going to develop and this is where we, we think that we should be part of that. And um, before that, before Six Nations, because obviously they've got some, apart from sport, sports interest, they've got some economic interest. We understand that, but, you know, it cannot continue like this if the, the goal, if the game has to, if the goal, game is to be, is to grow, you know, just this is the only way to grow, you know, if Georgia also becomes part of Six Nations, whether it's Six Nations or Eight Nations, it it's, does not matter really, you know, just as long as we have a chance to play uh, them. I suppose uh, what you're saying is 
Six Nations, Eight Nations. That's up for other people to decide. But the bottom line is Georgia need a chance up a level. Um, so what has been the yes. biggest roadblock to Georgia so far? What What is stopping this from happening? I think, I think, I don't know, because I think there, as I said, um, economic factor, I would say, you know, just because Georgia is a small country, possibly six nation bosses do not see Georgia as a big contributor in terms of uh, finances and uh, I mean, just economic, economic part of that. Uh, otherwise, sports side, Georgia has, has proven that, you know, just we, we are uh, we are developing we are growing you know just every year and uh, the uh, the proof of that was that play, the game we played against france and the game we are playing against tier one countries and i don't want to make this promise but you know at the same time i i can promise you that until they uh, uh, until 2023 or end of 2024 we will be tier one country, whoever it is, you know, just, uh, I, I can't predict who it might be, but we will beat. So if this is what's required from us, you know, just as a proof, we will do this. Okay. What can be learned from Italy? Because if you say Georgia, in order for Georgia to grow as a rugby nation, they need to be in a big competition like that. Some people will point to Italy and say they have gone backwards what would you say to that and and what can you learn from what's happened to Italy over the last since 2000 yeah I, I would say that uh, the attitude towards rugby in Georgia is different than in Italy you know just the people people uh, I think uh, love rugby more here because I think in Italy uh, first of all Italy developed you know just and um, a, a lot uh, obviously, we we cannot uh, we cannot take into consideration their recent recent results, but I- Italy has beaten big teams. So they were there were uh, there were stages where Italy was playing um, uh, really well. What I can tell you is that I think Georgia will develop faster if it took Italy like ten years or fifteen years. I think it takes it will take Georgia a couple of years to start beating tier one countries and six nation countries. Because of the attitude towards this game, you know, it's uh, possibly uh, the most popular game in Georgia at the moment because it's close to the character of Georgia. So they love this sport. So I think we've got better chances to uh, have a better results in a short term period than Italy had uh, some time ago. Georgian Rugby General Director Lasha Khudzidze chatting there. Clearly, as and when an opportunity arises to be part of the Six Nations, Georgia will unsurprisingly grab it with both hands. But what about the Italians? A part of this tournament since the turn of the century. Why have they not been competitive in recent years? Mark Palmer from the Sunday Times in Scotland has written in detail about the state of Italian rugby. Here, he explains to me why things are not going to plan. Well, we all know the, the, the pretty gruesome facts and figures surrounding Italy in the last uh, seven years of the Six Nations. They've, uh, they're coming off 32 straight defeats since they won at Murrayfield in, in February 2015. Um, so almost seven full calendar years now. Um, big changes last summer with Franco Smith being replaced as head coach by Kieran Crowley, who'd been at Benetton for, for the previous five years. Um, he's inherited a, a, a very young side uh, where there were some positive signs coming through from 
the results in the, the, the under-18s, under-20s, the last two or three seasons, these guys are now sort of breaking through en masse to the senior team. But the big issue is that there's not really the, the infrastructure of, of senior players around them to with, with experience of you know seeing out wins in big games uh, to, to kind of help these guys along. So they're kind of be, really are being thrown in at the deep end and, and hoping for the best. Uh, Franco Smith himself started that process in the last couple of years uh, post uh, post World Cup, um, uh, but there was kind of a sense that you know a lot of guys had been chucked in a bit above their pay grade. To be perfectly honest, that they just simply weren't ready for for that breakthrough. It really is a case of hoping for incremental improvements. I think in this championship, from their perspective, the. Um, uh, the, the schedule is such where I, I simply can't see them winning a game, uh, taking that quantum leap from the, the, the really pathetic performances and results of the last number of years. And so it, it really is hard to see where a win is coming from. In that basis, they have to go out and actually put in some performances and we can judge them on those as well. Last year's results were all 40, big 40, 50 point jobs. That that cannot be the case again if we're going to deem that they've made progress. The margins have to get a lot tighter, uh, and you're never going to be within even in touching distance with those kind of stats on the board. So, um, if they can have you know tighter results, even if these end up being 15, 20 point jobs, that still will be a sign of progress. And again, that's probably very indicative of just how low a base they're starting from. That that would be seen as progress. But and, just just you know, just one thing to jump in with here, Mark is. Yeah. What's the state of the union, literally? Um, because we always hear that over the years, Italy is an amalgamation of different local unions coming together for what should be the greater good. But for a, a, a nation so lowly, and at least in the Six Nations, they should be working together better than they have done. What What yeah. is the literal state of the union in Italy at the moment? And it, it, are things looking up in that respect at least? There have been some positive vibes on the Italian Federation front in the last 10, 11 months. They had a long-serving president, Alfredo Gavazzi, who'd been there for nine, 10 years and was largely seen to have done a, a pretty terrible job across the board. Um, that the, you know, Quite obviously, the performance part of the operation was was underperforming. Zebri and Treviso, uh, the Benetton rap doing very little in, in, in the in the the Pro 14 slash United Rugby Championship. And of course, we've discussed the, the results of the national team, but equally at a local level, the club game has kind of fallen to bits as well. There's been a uh, drop off in playing numbers, a real sense that the kind of regions and uh, that constitute federation weren't being shown any love at all. Uh, lots of stuff gravitating towards Rome and also the, 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 the sort of Northern regions, but the South feeling very cut off. Uh, however, the, towards the end of last Six Nations, when all these disastrous results were going on on the field, um, there was a, a presidential election in which uh, Gavazzi won, I think it was 3% of the vote, uh, and was summarily booted out um, to be replaced by former Italy captain Marzio Innocenti, who has come in on a mandate of um, investing and focusing heavily on the performance wing, but also showing some love to those the, the club game and trying to get that back on its feet again. Why do you think that's not worked up till now? I think that, you know, one of the explanations you always hear is that the, there just hasn't been, you know, even the coaching as well between, um, to, to bridge the gap that, the, you know, the, they lack that knowledge base because, you know, this is a country that's only been in, you know, this high level environment for, 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 for 20 odd years rather than compared to the rest of the teams in that, the Six Nations. And, you know, the, the level of knowledge and expertise that's been built up across that rugby community over the piece. Um, I think... 
they also, you know, they go through these phases of either trusting young players far too late, only giving them debuts at 23, 24, and uh, even in Benetton and, and Zebra, where, you know, they have that kind of permit player system where players are, are, are shared between um, leading club sides and the franchises. So you, guys will either hang around forever and get no game time or are thrown in, as we've seen in the last year with the senior team, very early on. And, you know, it is very much sink or swim. And if, if you're somebody with the the sort of rugby intellect and ability of a Garbisi, great, you will swim. But there are a lot of kind of, um, a lot of um, wastage with that as well. The guys who just kind of disappear because they don't have the safety nets around them to, um, you know, the infrastructure of established teammates to kind of help them, you know, find their feet at that level. Mark Palmer from the Sunday Times in Scotland talking to me about the current state of Italian rugby. Well, we wanted to hear from inside the union itself. What are they doing to bridge the gap between Italy and the other sides in the Six Nations? The issues they face are often overlooked by fans and journalists in the rival countries. Franco Smith is the former Italian head coach who now works as their performance director. I left my role as the coach because I obviously identified that the current situation in Italy needs direction um, in developing and growing a bigger pool of players that's competitive at international level. Italy's gone through a, a strange period. I think the result of the of having only two franchises, um, a lot of players leaving or finishing after the World Cup in 2019. And, and I think uh, what Italy at this stage you knows is that they've got the right players coming through. They've got a big pool. You'll notice that uh, the player, average player age of the two franchises and obviously um, of the Italian players playing the franchises and of the Italian players in the in the national team is, is below 25, which is a very low number, and the number of caps in the team is very, very low. Franco, looking at where Italy have been in, in recent years, what do you think realistically we can expect? Realistically, where is Project Italy, the, the national team, right now? Yeah, I think, obviously, it's more or less of the same situation that we were in, in 2021. Yes, the number of players that we've... Now made available for selection is more, but the number of tests played, it's only, I think, it's three tests more than they've played in the Six Nations. So the experience-wise, um, this is going to be a next step regarding experience to get everybody in that level and to understand what is expected at that level. And I'll explain that to the people in Italy that the standard of rugby is determined by the world outside of Italy. We're all going to make a step up here and understand that what what we're looking at, what's the intensity we need to play at, the number of actions during a game, meters that you have to run during a game. Um, obviously, uh, winning the collision, becoming more physical regarding uh, with the ball or without the ball, to get our pack of forwards to be dominant. So, yeah, we know where to go, but um, through the franchises, I think Benetton has had some good performances. Um, in comparison with last year, we before the Six Nations, both the franchise teams didn't win anything. And the mentality that you've worked with is different. So hopefully now with a couple of wins, a little bit of confidence. So hopefully we'll see a, a side that's more physical, physical, um, a little bit more accomplished in on defensive side of things. We obviously want to, to win more collisions. And, and then, uh, yeah, I think that the main challenge is going to be to you know, to, 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 to roll out better performances than we had uh, last year. Franco Smith there. So Italy are looking to expand their player pool to help them increase the amount of players who can perform at test standards. Whether they'll be given the time to do so is another question. 
as we've said already, relegation discussions will no doubt appear again in 2022. That's something that Mark Palmer told me registers with the Italian public. I think the fans and the whole rugby community in Italy does need a shot in the arm. Um, that that kind of run of defeats, the general kind of sense of a, a, a pretty listless and directionless movement that's there's been over the last five, six, seven years, uh, that that has taken its toll. Uh, and there's probably a feeling of, um, you know, the, 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 the kind of sense of self-worth and sense of place in this tournament has really been damaged as well. So um, I, the, the discussion about whether they are even worthy of being in the, in the tournament definitely does register there. Whenever that's reported in the English-speaking world, it's fed back in Italy and there's that kind of constant debate of, well, it's more that you know you don't see them saying well do we deserve our place it's more just reporting the fact that other people are questioning it and that does have a damaging impact on, on, their, on how they perceive themselves clearly it registers with the italian public and it's not exactly something that the italian federation can ignore when it comes to discussions of relegation it was an issue which italy performance director franco smith said they wanted to try and put an end to there's one thing in rugby it's it's pride eh? and i think Itali- italians are a very proud proud nation we all know that that is a, a very sore thorn in our in, in our in our flesh, and I think uh, I can talk in the name of everybody in Italy, and it includes coaches of the franchise level, top ten level. The whole federation is really working hard to get rid of this um, of this monkey on our back. Okay, and and in five years' time, what what would you like? Where would you like Italy to be realistically in five years' time? What you know, which had four or five years, a realistic amount of time to say, okay, that's a that's a cycle. Um, all the advancements that have been promised, we can tell where they are now. What would you like to see in five years' time? Oh, I like the fact that you say five years because that's two years before the next or th- before the next World Cup, and, and I think that's an important period to decide if the process says that was followed was good. We definitely want to be more performant. We want to win consistently, not. And then if you look over the whole 20 years that Italy's been involved, 21 years that Italy's been involved in the Six Nations, it's four or five games, five games that they've won over this period. So it's not a new thing that we're not winning. Sometimes that one win every four years just took the monkey temporarily from our back. But we want to be more consistent in our performance. We want to be competitive on the scoreboard week by week. Will Italy, will Italy dominate, dominate the Six Nations? Probably not. But can we be a lot more competitive, win more games and consistently every year be better in our uh, product on the field, but also in our mental approach, definitely. There's a huge amount of growth that's gonna that's going to happen. So definitely, yeah, we would like to win two, three games. We would like to be the, the team to be that has to be beaten for sides to get into the final in the next five years. And then obviously after that, um, with all the experience and with the uh, that that's gained hopefully even better even more better results i think we'll be good to go to get to the to at least 10th ranking in the world rugby again um obviously in six nations to, to to be consistent in our performance nobody must ever travel again to italy or play against italy without being nervous about it now there's one thing that i think people out there don't take in consideration nobody wants to lose against italy they uh, the preparation towards playing towards Italy is obviously of the highest quality always. So for us, in the next five years, if we can change, uh, put a little, a little bit more pressure on sides and the scoreboard uh, pressure creates 
errors from the opposition side or that we've been treated we are being treated with more respect will give us obviously a lot more opportunity to win games it's hard listening to Franco Smith and not wishing Italy the best for achieving their ambition of changing perceptions and improving their performances on the pitch and they may well be given a chance Despite Georgia Rugby General Director Lasha Khudzidze telling us how confident he is that they can step up to the Six Nations mark, a trip to Tbilisi is a very different challenge for travelling fans. Lasha told me that the distance and lack of connections to Georgia shouldn't be considered an issue. There was an argument like this for support that they need to travel longer longer trips, like you know, just three, four hours. However, you know, just um, the, the connection to Georgia is getting better and better every day, you know, and... Uh, We've got several international flights. We've got cheap flights as well. Uh, so, I mean, just this this, this is really not an issue and uh, should not be an issue, you know, because, uh, for instance, we played Scotland and uh, they saw, uh, and we've got, we, we have played other tier one countries. They have seen how well Georgia uh, can host such a big games and how interesting Georgia is as a country, how interesting it can be for supporters. Lasha Hudzidze on Georgia being ready to host fans and matches in the Six Nations. Who knows? Georgia could become the next Six Nations away day. However, all of the discussions about Georgia entering the Six Nations could be obsolete. A ready-made, tier one, rugby-obsessed country in South Africa is waiting in the wings with their own ambitions of entering the tournament. Craig Ray is the editor of the Daily Maverick in South Africa. Well, let's start with how it's thought of. I think uh, that's quite simple. It's quite, yeah, people are enthusiastic about it. People in rugby are enthusiastic about it because it makes perfect sense for a South African market in terms of time zones. And you know, once we can sort of get back to some sort of normal, it, it would be quite a thing to hop on a plane for a fan. I'm talking about on a Thursday night or something, land in London on Monday, uh, on Friday morning, go to a game at Twickenham and be back in the office on Monday. You know, it's it's one of those great sort of bucket list items. And the same for Dublin or Cardiff for Edinburgh as well, and, and Rome for that matter. So um, it's really attractive from that point of view. Commercially, it's attractive. Um, so people are, are fully behind it. And, um, you know, it's it makes a lot of sense financially. Will it happen? Well, the way I've uh, understood it, talking to people and sources and looking at documents that I've seen, uh, it's certainly on the cards. I mean, that's part of the reason why South African rugby pushed quite aggressively to get into the URC, which it wasn't called then, but obviously uh, that's what it's called now. For so long, South African rugby was really um, you know, struggling with, with Sanzar. It's always, when it came to super rugby, the South African teams really struggled. They would have to fly overseas to New Zealand, play almost instantly while they were jet lagged and usually get hammered and then come home after a four-week tour. And it, it never really worked properly for South African teams. So the alignment with the Northern Hemisphere makes a lot of sense. And I think in the early days of professionalism, it didn't because, and I'm sure you will all agree in the Northern Hemisphere, certainly in the 90s, uh, Southern Hemisphere rugby was quite far ahead in terms of play uh, the, uh, from the Northern Hemisphere. But that gap is gone. And in fact, it's probably switched. Yeah, it's, it's marginal, if, if, if not switched completely the other way. So from a playing point of view, it actually makes sense to be in the Northern Hemisphere now as well. So all of those things added together What's the next logical step? It's a European competition for the South African clubs that are in URC, and that is coming to get into the European Champions Cup and so on. And then the next step is to get the Springboks into an international competition. And quite simply, the Six Nations is the richest tournament in the world outside of the World Cup. Um, And the last numbers I saw, which were from 2020, 
Northern Hemisphere rugby still generates 64% of all income, uh, commercial income in, in, world, in, in the world rugby calendar, and that's excluding World Cup. So basically six nations and a few club competitions. So that's where the biggest share of the pie is. So from a Springbok point of view, it makes absolute sense to uh, get a share of that ultimately. I mean, South Africa, the Springboks wouldn't be the only people knocking on the door of that, though. We've um, we've spoken to we've spoken to uh, the guys in Georgia who you know they are desperate to be involved because they think it can raise their game to a couple of levels. It people are talking about whether it should be relegation, whether Italy's place should be ring fenced. Where Springboks are, where the rest aren't, I suppose, is that they're they're ready to go, they're ready to roll, they're ready to be competitive straight from the off. Do you think that as a commercial entity, whatever else Georgia and Italy and they want to do with that, do you think that from a rugby point of view, South Africa is just so much more attractive than anything else? Well, you guys know the answer to that question is quite simply yes. I mean, um, in fact, in the Sanzo Alliance, South African rugby uh, brought, brought the lion's share of the commercial value to the partnership. I mean, New Zealand rugby is incredibly strong on the field. But commercially, it's, it's it's quite isolated. Whereas the South African rugby pl- provided something like sixty five percent of the of the audience for Super Rugby and Rugby Championship, which uh, you know it's it's there's a massive appetite for it. So, uh, in terms of strength, the Springboks are the world champions. They've won a recent British and Irish Lions series. They they recently won in Wales and Scotland. They're a good team. Um, so they will obviously be competitive, and that's only playing away when the other teams would, ha- if it Six Nations happens in the usual time slot, they would have to come here, and that would be a different ball game for the Northern Hemisphere teams. So I think there's nothing um, negative about it, really, from a from a Northern Hemisphere point of view. It's an addition of an incredibly strong team, one of the most famous brands in world rugby, uh, with great infrastructure in South Africa, great stadiums, great weather. Um, yeah, and a big commercial value in terms of an audience that will watch. And there's a lot of South Africans living in Britain and Ireland uh, who will add value to the competition over there as well by you know, coming into stadiums, by buying merchandise and so on, uh, and even TV packages if the Springboks get into it. So there's a hell of a lot of value uh, having South Africa in the competition. One thing that a lot of people are talking about at the moment is, and particularly as Europe is going on and we're seeing some pretty wacky results, some pretty big teams not caring about it, is it is have we destroyed this tournament by turning by making it into a Frankenstein's monster? Would there be any concern at all about the Six Nations? Is obviously, very attractive to South Africa because of the commercial power that it wields and because of what it is, but it's what it is because it's been like this for 20 years. Would there be any fear at all from where you're sitting that it might be transformed to something else? Or actually, who cares? Uh, one of the biggest teams in the world joining a joining a competition would only make it better. Yeah, it's a, it, I mean, it has a lot of tradition, doesn't it? So, But I suppose that question was asked 20 years ago when Italy joined. Is it going to ruin it? And I mean, I think you can quite emphatically say no, it hasn't. You know, Maybe Italy haven't been as competitive as you would have liked, but as the Six Nations got worse or any less attractive or uh, appealed to audiences any less. I doubt it. Um, in fact, it looks to me like it's a massively popular tournament still. Um, so I, I think the addition will enrich it, but it will take some getting used to. I mean, it changes is scary, isn't it? And uh, it's, you know, from a South African point of view, you know, we, we always sit back and watch the Six Nations, you know, even though it doesn't involve uh, us and, and love it. So, 
um, having the Springboks in it will be will be massive. And I, I can assure you, New Zealand and Australia will be looking at it enviously and going, wish wish we could be in on that action as well, because maybe it's the ultimate first step to a, a real global season. But uh, the other point I wanted to make, maybe, and CVC are, are yeah, they've bought a big stake in Six Nations, haven't they? And, um, and South African rugby is about to close a deal with CVC. So there's that natural alignment there between you know, a big player in Six Nations and soon to be a big equity shareholder in South African rugby as well. That was Craig Ray, the editor of the Daily Maverick in South Africa. And whether you agree with it or not, it's a fascinating perspective on South Africa's desires to join the Six Nations. So we've heard from Georgia, Italy and South Africa. Up next on this Ruck Six Nations special, we'll hear from French back rower Gregory Aldry, Six Nations referee Wayne Barnes and former Scotland international Johnny Beatty as we turn our attention to this year's tournament and events on the pitch. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. The 2022 Six Nations kicks off on the 5th of February. On the opening weekend, we'll see Ireland play Wales, Scotland host England and France take on Italy. Back rower Gregory Aldry is in the French squad, who are the bookmakers' favourites to win the title. Gregory told me that after 12 years without winning a Grand Slam, the French public now expects this talented group of players to deliver. I think the, the country expects them. Uh, this is a good point for us. It's uh, that we've, uh, we've been doing good jobs uh, for the last two years. But of course, we, uh, we finished second two years, uh, two years ago. We finished second uh, last year. So I think uh, everybody wants to uh, to improve everybody our competitors and everybody wants to do uh, every year uh, a bit better than uh, last year so uh, of course we uh, we are looking to to uh, to to do big game and uh, I think everybody wants to to win this uh, championship this year but uh, it will be a, a big mistake for us to uh, to think uh, of uh, think of uh, of winning the, the championship first so we need to 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 play every game, game after game, to be focused on the first game, Italy, because uh, this is the beauty of Six Nations. Uh, there is no easy game. So start with Italy, then we uh, we receive uh, Ireland uh, in Paris. It will be a big, big clash. So try to, weeks after weeks, build this uh, this uh, championship and uh, we'll see uh, where we are at the end of the Six Nations. But uh, I'm sure everybody will be determined and uh, really, really looking uh, to start the, the Six Nations, of course. Do you like being fancied? Do you like being, um, do you like the expectation? Should France embrace expectation? Because a lot of teams like to be the underdog. Um, but actually, now, is it a good thing to say, right, we are ambitious, we want to we want expectations on us because we expect a lot from ourselves. I think it's um, 
you have to be underdogs at the, at the start. And we were underdogs a bit uh, at the start. And uh, the next step is to be on the on the top team. Uh, we want to be a big team and we want to be compared to big teams as well. So we need to uh, to assume after uh, this uh, this statue. And um, I think the Six Nation is uh, this Six Nation is a, a good test for us. And uh, of course, we did a, a great uh, November. Uh, we did great November games, but uh, the Six Nation come two months after. So. We have two choices: to stay on the on the last uh, last game against All Black, and to say we are we are the best, or just get back to work uh, next week and uh, prepare the Six Nation uh, the best we can to to try to do something there. The other teams in the Six Nations, and obviously you've seen some of the best players in the Champions Cup as well as playing against them in in past Six Nations. But from what you've seen in the last year, what? What are the the strengths of other Six Nations teams that not that you fear, but that you you need to be aware of that that everyone is conscious uh, is talking about that we need to cover off this. What what from the other teams uh, it sticks out in your mind? Every uh, every team has a uh, the, the proper um, strain, and this is uh, the the beauty of Six Nations. We saw we saw Ireland were seeing getting stronger and stronger when we saw the the game they they did against all black uh, in november it was uh, just uh, amazing uh, england as well did a great uh, great november november test uh, and uh, i think the one of the team uh, which uh, scare me the most is uh, is scotland because they are a really difficult team to to manage to play against and um they they have a Really, a game with uh, well, players who, who put a lot of intensity in the in the contact, and uh, who have uh, will never never uh, surrender. Like uh, they will always fight until the, the end of the game. They are really difficult to play against. So while the people of France may begin to expect, they are also fancied outside of their own borders. Interestingly, Aldrit there says that Scotland is a team to fear. One person who has a foot in both camps is former Scotland number eight Johnny Beatty. He has seen the swell in expectation firsthand through living in France. But does he agree that Scotland of all teams are one to be feared? Yeah, I mean, I'd say so. They do have reason to be fearful. Um, they've obviously last, lost the last two test matches they played in the Six Nations against Scotland. Um, they were, for my money, outcoached the last time they played at Murrayfield. I thought Gregor Townsend and his team did a really good job of beating the French blitz defence when they operated that two years ago. And last year at the Stade de France, in the pouring rain, um, Scotland were exceptional. So, look, they're a well-coached team. They're organised. Um, if everyone's on the field and they're fit, yes, they absolutely are dangerous to play against. Again, the key man, we always talk about him, but Finn, the way he pulls the strings and the way he makes things difficult for opposition defences and the way they read the game and try to shut space down, um, he's a hard bloke to play against. And Greg knows that from the top 14 as well, having seen Finn week in, week out for the past three, four seasons. So, yeah, I, I would say... They will be fearful. Um, it's not an easy place to go, Murrayfield now. And, and Scotland had a fantastic tournament last year, you know, winning three games, but coming fourth. Um, but I think that just speaks volumes for the level of the tournament, the level of the players, the level of the coaching. And the, the teams obviously leading the way. Um, you'd say that of three of the teams are uh, not head and shoulders above the rest, but leading the way, France, Ireland and England. Um, France now, for the first time in a long time, have real belief, um, especially after that, 
victory, that famous win against the All Blacks in the autumn, um, they've now got a real belief. And the French public, for the first time, um, has got a real belief in the side. They've got organisation and structure that they haven't typically had over the past 10, 15 years, mixed with smart attack and real power. Um, so it's exciting. It's the first French side that we've seen that's seriously organised in a very, very long time. Sean Edwards, Fabian Galtier have been fantastic and, and changed the way that their game operates. Um, and we haven't had that in a very long time in this tournament. So they're real contenders, as are Ireland and England. I mean, Ireland, the way their provinces are going, European stuff and also in domestics um, back home. And the level of performance, the product they put out on show in the Autumn Nations test, again, was just phenomenal and, and wonderful to watch. So the speed, the variety that they play with, um, incredibly hard to shut down space and put pressure on them because they are that good. And England, I mean, you know what you're going to get with England every single championship. The same as France in terms of the, the depth, the player pool they have. You know, you see Farrell going out injured this week. George Ford comes in. I mean, it's a ridiculous amount of depth that other nations do not have, um, mm. coupled with the fact that they are very well organised um, and hard to break down. So, look, those three sides, you would say, leading but Wales not too far behind Scotland not too far behind either um, and as I mentioned before the performances that Scotland put in last season you know winning against England against France losing by three against Ireland and I think it was two points against Wales um, there's not much in it um, and it is a very very level playing field but the the quality of what we're seeing uh, and the rugby that we're seeing um, has definitely stepped up from two or three seasons ago before a ball has even been kicked, we are talking about these six nations as being one of the tightest competitions ever. Both Ireland and France come in with recent victories over the All Blacks, while a new-look England defeated world champion Springboks in November. Scotland toppled the Wallabies, and lest we forget, Proud Wales are the reigning Six Nations champions. They are no strangers to injury problems, but will be hoping to roar into their opener against Ireland, who themselves have selection decisions to make, owing to the abundance of informed players throughout the provinces at the moment. Of course, selection isn't just a big deal for the players. And as we'll hear from Wayne Barnes, match allocation for the Six Nations is also a career highlight for match officials. Every time you get your appointments in the Six Nations, you're like, wow, wh where am I off? Which fans am I going to be seeing? What colours am I going to be seeing? Which stadiums am I going to be seeing? And trust me, even though I've been involved in it since 2007, it doesn't ever get less exciting. It is such an impressive tournament to be in part of. And apart from the World Cup, I think everyone will say this is a tournament that everyone wants to play, coach, watch or referee in. I was just wondering uh, if you could give us a flavour as well, Wayne, of how the level of scrutiny and attention goes up during the Six Nations compared to even just a, you know, a November test or a big European match or a big league fixture. Is it, does it feel different? The scrutiny is there. That That is part of our job as, as referees and as, as touch judges and as video referees. Pe people look at us, you know, they want us to get the big decisions right. We want to get the big decisions right. But what the Six Nations does, it has the eyes of the world on it, you know, and particularly um, in the UK and Ireland, um, it's terrestrial TV as well, you know. So ITV and the, and the Beeb will be covering it um, in, in England and Scotland and Wales and and you then get more fans watching. I think it's 10, 11 million watch, watch the uh, England-Wales game, um, uh, sorry, the Wales-England game and two years ago. And you just think of those numbers, you know, it just shows um, how passionate we are still about, you know, the Six Nations. So that means more scrutiny on, on us because more people are watching it. And 
the games are often so close. The amount of games I've been involved in in the Six Nations where it's one score either way, of course then people look more at your decisions. And and just generally, Wayne, um, how are your levels of excitement now looking forward to? And, and I'm imagining there's a, just to go back to, you know, we spoke to Gregory Aldrete about just how special it is to be involved in and and where, where the Six Nations stands. I'm imagining that, yeah, you mentioned earlier that the, you still get the same buzz from playing in it as, as you did before. Uh, you know, is that is there a sense of something different when you're traveling traveling away for it? It's, I just I just want to know how it how it differs from the the day to day. Makes it seem like that it's mundane, but it's not. But you know, the, there's something different with this, isn't there? Well, the, the difference really um, really simple for me. And um, when I go down and I do the Bledisloe Cup, um, or when I do South Africa versus New Zealand, they are magnificent test matches. But there's no traveling fans. Um, so you will do, you know, you know, you will get a, a splattering of uh, all black fans in somewhere like Cape Town or Joburg watching, you know, some of the big, you know, best players in the world run into each other. But it the Six Nations, you have traveling fans and they make a lot of noise. So, you know, you're, you're in Cardiff um, and you walk. Lovely thing about the Six Nations from an official's point of view, you walk from your hotel in Cardiff to the stadium, through the street, and it's not just a sea of red. You know, the amount of times I've done um, Ireland versus Wales, you know, I, I can't actually count on one hand anymore. Um, but it's a, it's a streets, you know, the streets of Cardiff are filled with green and red shirts, you know, or when you go into uh, France, you hear the noise of the Marseillaise, you know, before the match. But also you hear, you know, Fowler of Scotland being bouted out as loud as well. And that's what I think makes the, the Six Nations truly great. And I think that's what everyone's missed about it. It's definitely what I've missed about it over the last two seasons is to be there without those anthems being roared out, without, you know, those packed pubs of Dublin post-match, you know, without, you know, tripping over people with daffodils over their heads as you're walking through the streets of Cardiff. That's what makes the Six Nations special. And that's why, you know, I think everyone treasures it um, up here um, from, a, from who are rugby fans. What is touched on here is just how special the Six Nations is. And on the eve of a new tournament with anticipation levels building, Perhaps it's best to leave it to one of the athletes, as Gregory Aldrit gives us one last hype up for the tournament. All the rugby players in Europe, when uh, February come, uh, everybody get excited about the Six Nations. It's uh, really mythic, yeah, and uh, there is this atmosphere uh, around uh, the competition, which, uh, which is awesome. And um, even the World Cup, if you, World Cup is really nice. I did, I did a World Cup in Japan. There was a nice atmosphere, but I prefer like the Six Nation uh, atmosphere with uh, all the fans, big stadium. When you play in Cardiff or or Twickenham or Murrayfield, it's uh, it's insane. And uh, uh, this is really the um, the massive point for for Six Nation. And after it's just like it's really really hard to uh, to win a Six Nation uh, when you. <laughs> When you beat, uh, imagine you beat Wales and you beat England, you still have to beat Ireland, Scotland, and Italy. It's and uh, this is uh, what make uh, Six Nations special as well. But last thing for me, Greg, and thank you for talking to us. Is personally, if there's anything that you want to achieve this year in the Six Nations, uh, I want to win the Six Nations, of course, and um, I think lots of French players wants to win the Six Nations, just as uh, Ireland and uh, England and maybe all the other team. 
but uh, yeah, of course, after being uh, on the second uh, second place last year and two years ago, uh, of course, uh, I want to win the the Six Nations. But as as I said, we need to to focus first on uh, on Italy and just uh, go step by step. This has been a Six Nations special podcast from the Times and Sunday Times. Thank you to Talksport for the commentary clips and to the Georgian, Italian and French federations for all their assistance. And of course, we'd like to thank all our other guests. This podcast was edited by Alfie Reynolds. Please follow and subscribe from wherever you get your podcast from. Enjoy the Six Nations, everyone. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhones.